talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing. I'm Stu. And I'm Dave. Today, we'll be discussing episode 11 of Aaron Sorkin's seminal TV show, The West Wing. The title of this episode I wrote on my little document thing is that rubber-faced fop considered profound. (laughs) However, the actual episode title is Lord John Marbury, the titular character who arrives in the White House uh, at the behest of the president to solve a particularly thorny international affair. Yeah. Um, so I'll read off the little paragraph uh, synopsis here from the fan wiki, which is a pretty good synopsis. <laughs> the Kashmir border powder keg, this is the border between India and Pakistan, becomes more explosive when the Indian army invades Pakistani-held territory, making the threat of a nuclear confrontation frighteningly real to President Bartlett, who car- calls in Lord John Marbury, an eccentric British diplomat with ties to both warring nations, An angry Josh is forced to subpoena to testify as the investigation into the substance abuse amongst White House staffers grinds on towards its inevitable target, Chief of Staff Leo McGarry. Mandy floats a trial balloon among the staff to test their reaction to her notion of representing a liberal Republican. Uh, I'm just reading this, folks. I didn't write it. (laughs) And the president is surprised when Charlie asks him if he can date his willing daughter, Zoe. Okay, so at first first blush, it sounds like there's a lot going on in this episode, but... It sounds that way. (laughs) You you dummy. Of course there's not a lot going on in this episode. Like, my first note on this week's thing, the document was, I don't even know what happened in this episode, what the fuck. (laughs) So, uh, we actually open on menacing imaging of uh, fleet movement, where they do the uh, very CSI zoom, zoom. Enhance. To be fair, they don't actually enhance, but it's very yeah, up that well, alley. Well, you know, because they've got the professional there, and he's like, those are CVEs in a Class 4 carrier, motherfucker. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is problems, or something. Right, so there's giant troop movement amongst the border, um, <laughs> which then, which is gets great in the Situation Room when the CIA gets called out for, like, uh, how did we not know about this <laughs> uh, giant 300,000 troop movement? It, it was really awesome because, like, and this is one of my the very few things that I liked about this episode where they're just, you know, they come in, they're talking to Admiral Fitzwallis, and he's giving him a briefing, and Bartlett's just like, even it, it's actually funny because we're going to get into this topic a little bit later. The show does a lot of things that I was trying to work it out, and I think it's that it expects you to have a certain reaction just built in, like you're supposed mm-hmm. to be primed to have something, and when the president asks about like the or like the units that are involved and the the mm-hmm. army guy like reads off like 4th mechanized division like 53rd infantry division this is one of those moments where i actually had a primed reaction because as soon as he reads those words off it's like that's like half a million fucking people yeah <laughs> yeah and then, yeah, what does bartlett say uh five guys in a humvee is what he thinks the indian army is <sighs> yes. before he's corrected some delightful orientalist condescension. It's basically what 14-year-old me's view of the world was, oh, essentially. Oh, man. Um, so then, you know, this. what's funny the most is that, you know, after he hears, hears that 300,000 troops moved all of a sudden, he turns to the CIA guy, and the CIA guy's like, yeah, we dropped the ball. 
and all he gets is like, well, pick it back up, and a stern <laughs> glare, and not, you know, fucking fired. Yeah, for, like, gross incompetence. <laughs> for gross incompetence at your job. Like, fuck the CIA and all, but, like, and this is, again, this is a pre-9-11 um, structure of this organization yes. here. But, like, holy shit. That if yeah. you got one job, man. Yeah, and he just gets a nice stern look from Bartlett. Don't worry, he gets to keep his seat in the situation room. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> we'll see him again. Um, so, meanwhile, we have some funny character bit um, with Josh and Donna, where he wants to herd a caddy for him, uh, and she does the Teladonna thing of, what's a caddy? Which, okay, first off. <laughs> but and then secondly, as he's describing what a caddy does, and she's like, it sounds like I just lug your <laughs> your golf ball, uh, clubs around. And he's like, no, you read the green and stuff like that. Like, well, if she's asking what a caddy is, how good at green reading do you <laughs> think she is, Josh? Like, I- yeah, you, I, I don't know, like, nearly the first da- goddamn thing about golf, but it's like, mm, th- this is so kind then, of weird. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. They're, they always try to pepper in some cute character moments here or there. Sums are hits, sums are misses. This one's more of a miss. <laughs> um, the, what in the world? Oops, I clicked the wrong link. Anyway, um... Sorry. Uh, then, so what we get next is our second major uh, conflict that the the uh, summary that I just read didn't mention, which is that CJ walks into the room when they're discussing this military action, uh, or when they just finish discussing it, and says, "Hey, is there anything I need to know before I go tell the Pris that I'm putting a lid on the day?" And they say, "No, you don't need to know anything," even though they have just discussed this huge, big implicate thing that she obviously needs to know. Like potentially, potentially civilization-ending level of, like you know, if you, if you work it out down the road to nuclear weapons use, like, right. and actually, I think this was. This was the most interesting part of this episode is that they really go in on um, kind of freezing CJ the fuck out of this. Yes. For for a reason that sucks, and we can dig into it a little bit later, but it is immediately apparent. And she also, and because Allison Janney is just a spectacular actress, um, it's clear that she sort of picks up on it immediately. Oh, totally. Totally. She has her suspicions from the get-go, and then she gets ambushed in the press room by a question about the situation Mm -hmm. that she has no information on, and then she has to look like a fool when she tells the guy, no, your source is stupid and wrong because I work in the White House, and if (laughs) this was actually happening, I would be the first to know. Because of course I would. I'm the press secretary. Uh, And then, whoops. Yeah, turns out not not to be the case. And the uh, so in between this kind of little step here, there's news that Josh is being deposed for this Lillian Field accusation thing. The guy's name who's investigating is Claypool. Um, yeah, the the weird scummy lawyer guy. Yeah, um, which you know nothing against the actor, but he does a great job of character acting as a real scummy lawyer guy. He just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. And Josh is like dismissive of this shit, and the deposition's like super dismissive. Like, and it's it's really boring, and I don't give a shit. But like, yeah, hands off. Yeah, and then you know, so they go and they take Sam and all this stuff. But the thing we first see Mandy in this episode, we actually only see Mandy once in this episode. <laughs> she comes in, and it's like. Hey, I'm gonna go work for a Republican. I think. What do you <laughs> guys cool? think? <laughs> yeah. Is that okay? And just for what? What's her? I can never remember the actress's name. Oh, um, Moira Kelly. Yeah, Moira Kelly. It's just atrocious. You know, I said CJ is doing a spectacular job acting. 
Moira mm-hmm. Kelly picks up the dregs on the other end of the spectrum here. It's, yeah. She walks into Sam's office and is just like, just like, oh, and I just said, you know, and spoiler alert, she gets written out of the season, yeah. <laughs> or out of the series. We, we've talked about Mandy. Bill. Yeah, <laughs> and this is just, it's just, of course she is because this shit is fucking terrible. Yeah, um, it's 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 a very show don't tell moment where Sam has to say like, I admire your pluck. Because we, we haven't been shown that she has pluck. We have to be told that she has pluck. Um, because she's just been so badly written. Um, yeah. We will not be spending any time on Mandy and Josh's subplots in this episode. In fact, episode, I think that's about suck. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, we, but we had them contractually obligated to mention them. Because <laughs> so, they did technically happen. We, we go on and um, it becomes uh, like obvious that CJ got blindsided by the press. Like There's another scene in the Situation Room that is just uh, entirely pointless where they bring the president more up to speed about what's going on in India or in Kashmir. And he says something like, he says, oh, like, well, now we've got a ball game. It's like, motherfucker, you had a ball game as soon as 300,000 fucking yeah. troops walked into a, another sovereign nation. Yeah, it's, I, it's meant to imply like a raising of stakes, but nothing really has happened. And the stakes were already pretty damn high <laughs> yeah. from the inciting incident. And then so they go through and they, you know, CJ is told that she like, what the fuck is going on? We right. get this this upset thing about like needing a briefing, and so two bit characters that I really like show up. Ed, Ed and Larry. Larry. <laughs> I love Ed and Larry. Ed and Larry remind me of kind of like Simpsons esque uh, side characters, where they have, they kind of have like you'll see them pop up in the background a bunch throughout, but they'll never get like a real plot line to their own or or anything like that. Um, and they're there to brief the group on uh, Pakistan and <laughs> kids if you're listening uh, before Wikipedia we used to have something called encyclopedias uh, and encyclopedias were big books uh, basically were of Wikipedia that you couldn't edit uh, unless you <laughs> made a new edition uh, so what they do is they go get the encyclopedia entry for Pakistan uh, get the hot <laughs> facts about you know things like life expectancy literacy rates and just start listing them off to the group uh, and that's their idea of a briefing. <laughs> yep. And they, they admit to it because it's just like, this is terrible. Yeah. Like, we, we don't yeah, have anybody to be fair, prepared for when this. Called on it, when called on it, they're like, you should have given us like some amount of time to prepare because all I had time to do was grab an encyclopedia. And so there's some other there's some other movements around <laughs> the thing. And then we get the, the, the Charlie-Zoe dating plot yeah. line comes in. Yeah. Um, which gets real awkward. Uh, it's fine at first when it's just Zoe and Charlie, mm-hmm. and um, and she mentions like, "Hey, do you ever get a night off?" And he says, "No," which, as far as we can tell, he does not. Um, which is another thing about the overwork of Charlie that just gets completely glossed over on this show. But anyway, she's like, "Oh, it'd be nice if you had a night off because maybe we could go out or something." And he's like, "Oh my god, go out with a girl!" Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is adorable. And 
whatever. Um, but then he does the thing of like going to Bartlett to ask if it's okay, uh, which is problematic just on its face, but then gets even worse when Bartlett gets all like, Ooh. oh, I should have locked her in a dungeon. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Girls dating my daughter, blah, blah. And, and it's just this paternalistic bullshit. Yeah. The, I mean, we can, we can dig in on it a bit because actually that's, I want to wrap those two issues up together. So yeah, let's, let's talk about briefly the, then we meet three characters, one of whom is the Chinese ambassador. Cruz, the actor's name is James Hong and he plays fucking Lo Pan in Big Trouble yeah. in Little China. Yeah, and uh, and a million other roles. And a million well. other like, you <laughs> know, wizened Chinese old, man role. Old Chinese yeah. man, and the second you hear his voice, it's super distinctive. Mm-hmm. I, I have a note here. He's like the Chinese George Takei. <laughs> the second I hear him in anything, I'm like, oh hey, it's that guy. Yeah, um, and so we actually get this series sort of closely put together of Bartlett, President Bartlett. There, there's a fine line to be walked between the level of professionalism that should be maintained, I think, when conducting international relations. Like, I don't fucking know about this stuff. But mm. he he crosses that line repeatedly into condescension to totally. meeting every one with, of these characters. With all with three all of them. Three with all three of them. Because the, he meets the, first the Chinese ambassador, played by James Hong. Then next is the uh, Indian ambassador, mm-hmm. um, played by Eric Avari. Mm-hmm. Um who I will always remember as Mohinder's dad from Heroes, but um, he shows up in anything where you need a vaguely ethnic man. <laughs> yeah. um, I've, I, according to Wikipedia, he's been cast as 24 different ethnicities. Yeah, not not 24 roles, 24 different, <laughs> yeah. like, vaguely, could, could be anywhere between, like, 0 West and 140 West or whatever. Um, you know, on the eastern hemisphere of the planet, because I know him yeah. from, he was the priest in The Mummy. That's right. Like, so he plays That's an right. Egyptian. I was I was just about to say, and I know I've seen him be Egyptian in something, and I completely <laughs> forgot what it was, and that's what it is. It's from The Mummy, um, which is fantastic. He, funny enough, he actually is Indian, so the West Wing did pick the right ethnicity to play him no, as. No, no, no. He's the Pakistani ambassador, though. Oh, no. They, they flip it. Oh, he's the Pakistani one, yeah. and then the Indian guy is, is a Pakistani, Pakistani actor. actor. My yeah. bad. They what did is, flip it. It's actually, and it, I guess that's interesting. I think it's intentional. Intentional? Yeah. And it, it clearly must be intentional. Yeah. I mean, the the, divi- uh, the division is illusory anyway, based on the colonialism we'll discuss eventually. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll, t- we'll get back into that more um, yeah. in a bit. But then, yeah, so then to t- go back to the um, C- uh, Zoe-Charlie thing, uh, it doesn't. The racial dynamic doesn't come up until Leo asks Bartlett, uh, "Do you have a problem with the racial thing?" And that scene is literally just there to show that Bartlett doesn't have a problem with it and is a cool guy who is hip with the black urban youth. Whew. And is he, what's the line he says? I'm uh, I'm He's, the guy after. I'm, I'm uh, Spencer Tracy at I'm, the end of Guess Who's Coming to guess, Dinner. Which means he had, which isn't <laughs> the most favorable comparison, by the way. And, and also, super, super opaque reference. I, I wouldn't blame anybody if they had no fucking idea what he was talking about. Yeah, that's, about. that's a boomer level reference, yeah, too. Yeah, for real. Um. All right, so let's let's wrap up this segment and then we'll break down into more of the discussion yeah, of the because individual issues. Like the last the last sort of international character we meet is the titular one, John Marbury. Correct. He blows in towards the end of the episode and essentially is colonialism wrapped in a person. 
Right. So wrapped wrapped in a funny drunk British man who yes. keeps asking for a light for his cigarette. And that will kind of kick off the discussion that we're going to kind of break into shortly. So the major theme of the episode is colonialism as embodied in Lord John Marbury, who shows up uh, two thirds of the way through the episode after he was discussed by the president and Leo. And by way of introduction, CJ sort of reads off a credential check on the phone to a reporter who's curious about who they're bringing in to mediate the uh, conflict between India and Pakistan, which we'll play the clip here. His name is Lord John Marbury. He is the hereditary Earl of Sherlbourne. He is the great-great-grandson of a former viceroy and for 13 years served as the Queen's minister to either India or Pakistan. Lord Marbury is here to counsel the president. And if you think this is all starting to sound like a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, I don't blame you a bit. And it's just like, oh, so um, he's just like a royal twit. Yeah, he's he's someone royal's son, you know? <laughs> That's like the most of the credentials she reads off is that he's related to royalty. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, not only does he Im- embody uh, colonialism, um, but he just... Uh, so, he's meant to be sort of a comedy character, and yet one you're supposed to take extremely seriously as being like a super savant about when it comes to diplomacy. Uh, but then also is, you know, thinks Leo is the butler and is named Gerald. <laughs> it's this, yeah, and it's this, they, they set up this contrast of being like, oh, he's totally a, like a doofy guy. And like, look at him go stumbling through this shit. Like, he needs somebody to light his cigarette. <laughs> but then right. it's, it's the idiot savant thing where it's like, actually, he's very smart. And you'll, right. he'll be pro- providing you with the wisdom necessary to navigate this, you know, narrow course here. Yeah, oh. uh, and his his big contribution uh, after being introduced and hyped up and credential checked and everything is to say that uh, the conflict is about religion. Yeah, uh, like, real real prescient insight there, just, Lord John Marbury. <laughs> just literally, and he th- this is also being said of so. President Bartlett suffered some frustration at the reaction of both the Indian and Pakistani ambassadors who, as I mentioned, have legitimate concerns and enter the conversation with the president of the United States, essentially being condescended to actively, yes. like out of, the of gate. Like, both, of, both of you are doing bad and I need to whap you with a newspaper <laughs> yes. uh, is basically the, the president's attitude towards these men when they're both bringing up extremely legitimate grievances they both have with the other country. Mm-hmm. And so that, that sets up this context for President Bartlett to like express his frustration and I'll play the clip here because he says Every time he talks about colonial Western imperialism, I always want to remind him that the United States is also a revolutionary country that threw off its colonial masters. Why don't you? <laughs> fucking, oh, man. It, is, it is super fucked up to be oh, like, oh my God. Yes, the United States threw off their colonial masters, but as you said, they just partnered up with Great Britain at that yeah, point. Yeah, we became bestest buddies. <laughs> 
you know, for the next 200-something years. To, to go and colonially exploit the rest of the world. Yeah, to s- go sign off and approve and handshake on every single imperialist adventure both of our countries then undertook for the next couple centuries. And this has been actually a theme, a, a big theme in a lot of sort of, you know, the online and dirtbag left spheres recently where it is like the the nominal left struggles when it comes to a cohesive theory of foreign policy yeah there's not um i've i've read the, uh, something real that put it real well of like there's not something as simple and wholesome as like medicare for all when it comes to foreign policy that you can just kind of like be like hey i'm for that because that's going to help everyone mm-hmm. um and maybe that you know that is something that like the left kind of needs to work out or or fig- figure out you know basically I, from my understanding, I'm not a big foreign policy guy, but from my understanding, every time America involves itself in anywhere else in the rest of the world, it goes bad. Yeah. You know, that's that's my take. We, on we it. do have a lot of negative history, and so this is put in, in in this episode. It's it's essentially that problem is alighted and left out, and then the sort of it's bizarre because not only do we not take a stance, we don't we we don't. Propose no one says solutions. whether India or Pakistan is ultimately correct here. Yeah, we we don't propose the solutions, and that, but at the same time, we the presumption is that we know what we're doing. So it ends right. up in this weird limbo of the discussion amongst these parties, where we are at once completely denying the agency and independence of all the actors involved, but also attempting to assert ourselves. Right. In in a realm that we have no, we have knowledge no concrete about. knowledge or, um, again, active policy proposal to deal with. So, or and a, and a very bad track record. Yes. And so you know this John Marbury character comes in as a as a uh, like a stand-in for, hey, this guy knows enough to 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 pull all the pieces together to talk and, to people on both sides and, <laughs> and calm this thing down or, or what have you. Yeah. Yes. And you know, the real big thinkers are getting together in a room and we're going to, we're going to serious think men out. in a serious room <clears throat> are talking about serious things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and they continually just ev- evoke this image of colonialism, even though we are like, this show is literally colonially administering this problem in real time. Like Marbury is going to be a, what is functionally a viceroy at this point yeah. if we let if we let him loose to propose solutions or deal with these countries. Yeah, we're basically they basically at the end here they just say like we're bringing you on and you're going to have like the full force of the White House behind you to solve this issue because we don't know shit and you're the expert. Yeah. Um, and that's basically how the episode ends. And it turns out we'll get more of this in the next episode. So this is not the end of the India-Pakistan storyline, but it's a real kind of like nothing burger of an ending where it's just like, yeah, the problem's still there. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Mm, you know, two nuclear-armed nations are at each other's throats. Um, and, you know, there's all this tied up in the Marbury character. You wrote down that, you know, there's a lot of royalty worship going on you know and again i'm always saying that like 80 percent of americans are fucking secret monarchists anyway so this is right up our alley and really this whole show is basically like president as king 
you know, where we, we get to see the king in action and watch him go about his kingly business. Yep. Like, and it's, it's great. It's, very, it's great in history, royalty. like in real time, yeah. sort of. Um, Bingo. Bingo. We're watching a great man here. <laughs> Lord John Marbury in this show's mind is a great man making history. Yeah. And just like, no shit. It's about religion, dude. You know, your country <laughs> was extremely explicit about utilizing religious division to pit these people against each other so that they wouldn't ever challenge the metropole for their own sovereignty. Right, like, keep them fighting amongst themselves so they don't actually fight against their colonial oppressors. Like, what the fuck? And yeah. it's just, oh, it's such a trite solution. It's like, oh, well, yeah, because you did it to them. So, mm, again, it's like history is repeating itself here. Again, we you know, we know... Like, ISIS is about religion, too. That doesn't help anything to know that. <laughs> you know, you have to... There's a lot more involved than just saying, oh, it's about religion. Uh, yes, and, uh, and how do you propose to um, solve it being about religion? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. And by the way, then let's call up Israel and Palestine, <laughs> and, Palestine and, tell yeah. them, and tell them, hey, but guys, we figured out how to solve religious conflicts. You'll never believe it. It's one easy trick. <laughs> that was, actually, this is... Caliphates hate it. <laughs> This is sort of topical this week because there's that fucking Van Jones interview of Jared Kushner on CNN oh where he was just like, oh, hey, how how did you end up in this position? You're just like a 36-year-old noodle man, you know, and now you're in charge of everything. It's like, oh, my fucking God. Like, oh, oh man. You, you credulous moron. Anyway, I'm getting way off topic. So what we should do That's is rerail this discussion. <laughs> yeah, let's bring this back um, to our second major issue that I'd like to discuss, which is CJ and her relationship to the White House and to the press corps and the concept of the press secretary having to lie to the press. All right. So CJ's plot line this episode is basically um, revolves around being intentionally kept out of the loop. Uh, and we find out later as uh, Toby and her have a conversation toward the end of the episode where Toby finally apologizes to her in his own Tobyish way um, that the reason they felt they had to keep CJ out of the loop is they didn't think she could handle uh, lying to the press. Uh, CJ's reaction here seems to imply, like, you thought I couldn't handle that? What are you, insane? Of course I can handle <laughs> She's that. She's a PR person. Yeah, like, that's why you hired me. Uh, and furthermore, I just don't get it, because as I said before, I feel CJ should have code word level clearance. She gets briefed about military stuff all the time in future episodes. Um, you know, maybe that is... Actually, did we... You know what? I'll give the show credit. If we never saw any military briefings before this episode and we see them after this episode, that's actually clever writing on the show's part, where they actually did correct the behavior. Um, based on the conversation that CJ and Toby have here, huh, uh, where she says like, that. "Hey, you have to let me more into the into the in group here." Yeah. Um, but furthermore, it's also done for very shitty reasons. Not just that, but because they think because she went out with Danny Kakanen that she's too close to the press now, and that she's like tainted oh, and she's will compromised. not represent the White House yeah. Uh, properly. Yeah, compromised exactly. Uh, and that's just, like, a super shitty sentiment to make to, like, the one woman in the group that, like, no, we can't trust you. Meanwhile, Josh will go on to date, you know, like, 
oh, a million fucking, other people who are fighting with the administration. Like fucking Amy Gardner down the road, yeah. and you know, date his own his own staffer, which is gross. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, spoilers, I guess, but like, fuck you guys. Um, well, whatever. Yeah, we're, we're well past that. <laughs> yeah, no and, one cares. You know, and I think uh, like the the sexism is clearly on display too, particularly given the traditionalist view of military issues. Right, as, as in, a, like, this is men's stuff. Yep, as a man you know? stuff, man talk type of right. deal. You know, like, oh, don't don't bother CJ's pretty little head about this stuff. This is men's stuff. Like, it is, it's a very, it's not said explicitly, but the unsaid implication lingers throughout the episode. Yeah, the, the chauvinism is, is very is very real. Because it's literally, apparent. it's a group of men in, like, you know, you just had, had smoke to that room, and it's literally the smoke-filled <laughs> yeah. room where, like, men get together to decide the fate of the world. Like... Yeah, and and they intentionally and she just pops in and is like, "Hey guys, you talking about anything important that I need to know as press secretary before I go talk to the press?" And they're like, <laughs> "Nope." In in my professional capacity, that I'm yeah, supposed to uh, do to help you. And they just real they hang around on a ledge to dry when she gets burned by the guy who has a Pentagon source that knows about the troop movement. And then she looks real foolish because she makes him you know doubt his source when it turns out to be true because. They didn't. Uh, they weren't open and honest with her about this sort of thing, and it just—it's such an own goal kind of moment of like this administration's own incompetence within its. You know, this was this was a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Well, and I think the the sexism and chauvinism, honestly, is is an interesting. It's a interestingly consistent, and I don't know if I want to write it off as a sign of the times in the show, and you know, it's a 2018 brain thinking about this, but you had mentioned earlier, like the whole, I should have locked my daughter in a dungeon bullshit. Oh like, man. It's just so it's weirdly patriarchal. And okay. Yes. These are old ass white dudes and fine, whatever. Yeah. But like there, there is this interesting bit where it's like, Zoe is sort of, um, taking the reins here. So the show does do. Yeah. In, in her pursuit of Charlie. Absolutely. Yeah. And same yeah. thing with CJ where she is portrayed as being like, this is fucked up. Like I'm gonna take back control. And you had made a note that right. the like that Margaret is an incredibly trusted person within the thing. Whether that's bad, you know, vis-a-vis the other, the rest of the staff or whatever. It's still a a woman in a position of power that is you know portrayed positively. Right. Yeah. Mar- Margaret owns Carol owns solidarity <laughs> with all the assistants. That's right. Who are making way less than the bastards at the top. That, that's right. Um, the, the, the but, government scale is on the low end for them. So. Yeah, totally. But what, yeah, what was interesting is, uh, so Leo's plot line kind of wraps around where during that deposition that we're not going to talk about other than right now, uh, it comes out that, you know, there's documents that prove Leo was in rehab for Valium, um, which is kind of like the big thing. And so now it's going to come out to the press. So they go to Leo and they say, hey, does your family know? And he says yes. And what's interesting is as he's saying yes, Margaret is behind him in frame and she's nodding along too. So she knows that Leo's family knows. So Margaret has been brought in like to Leo's trusted circle, uh, which is really interesting yeah. to me. Especially considering like the level of the level of conversation that we see out of Donna or Mrs. Landingham, right? Like I don't think Donna knows anything, anything. that personal about Josh. You yeah, know? I mean, and she, you would have thought like in a almost in sort of like a, in a in the comic relief role that she's often spun, she might have been involved in 
high drinks with Lori or high drinks with, you know, helping out some of the other more like minor right. side plots. No, and she hasn't been. Not at all. Um, we'll see later on Donna gets a lot more involved in the government stuff, which is good. Um, but definitely in these early scenes, she's literally just there to kind of be like the audience mouthpiece asking questions to let Josh explain issues, you know, the Teladonna thing that we've talked about. Yeah. And I'm also like, when I think about the CJ and her relationship with Danny thing, it is the, the presumption is that if she was a man, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. And in a lot of times, uh, yeah. that's, it hasn't been. I mean, what's his name? The the general who was sleeping with the woman writing the book about him? Uh, yeah, Petraeus? Yes, general, the General Petraeus thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it caught up with him, but only because he, like, super fucked up. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, like, yeah, it's... It's kind of a mess, um, but thankfully, I will say this, it, the show does go out of its way to say, hey, CJ got wronged, and that's bad, and they have to make recompense for it, you know, they actually even get Toby to apologize, which is a very rare thing to see on this show, um, so the show does kind of puts, paint CJ in the right here, which is good, because, she's, again, she is the only character that's allowed to be consistently right so far uh, on this show. Yeah, and I mean, she's just... I say this every episode, but she's just a spectacular actress. Like, oh, she does they, great. Yeah, great. There's this, like this little thing she does where she like cracks her neck and like <laughs> she's warming up for a fight when Toby enters the room before he apologizes, yep. <laughs> and it's great. It's just like Allison Janney, wonderful, wonderful actress, uh, and does fantastic work. And CJ is probably the only decent character so far because already Toby's has slipped several times. So yeah. Uh, and then let's uh, let's wrap up uh, with a few lingering topics, and then we'll wrap up this episode and get you ready for the next one. There's uh, like one last thing I wanted to mention about CJ again. You know, this it's not necessarily particularly related to like, the chauvinism in the job. It's just more denying agency to her because, frankly, the exchange with Toby when she's sitting at the the desk is just fucking insufferable. And in I made a note there that like. If it was 2018, she would have thrown some deuces and walked the fuck out of the building. <laughs> Peace out. It is, it is that level of a snub and that level of justification for it yeah. that is he literally says like... says to her, we, we can't trust you to do your job. It, it, is, a like, no, it is a no confidence. Fucked. It is that's saying no fucked. confidence to her. Yeah. So, and that's... That's fine. I think the the show does go out of its way to to rectify that a little bit, even if right. it's a little awkward, like the exchange with Toby again, like on the couch and whatever. He doesn't actually apologize. Yeah, but you know, but she, we're meant to say like this is Toby's version of an apology, effectively. Yeah, and so I mean, we we do get more of that feeling of, especially like I just love it that they are building it out with these characters, even as like this. So the your personal connection, like your your sympathy for these specific characters, they are taking every chance they can get to build that out for them. Right. Except for the one who eventually ends up having this problem because all Leo does is like force President Bartlett to say he's racist in this episode. Yeah. And then at the end, the big conflict is, oh, well, Leo, you're going to get pilloried for your right. drug abuse. Like you have yeah, and also you have to deal with Lord John Marbury for a few weeks to a few months, mm-hmm. and you don't like him. Like it does, just kind of shit all over Leo. Yeah. And and also it hasn't gone to great lengths to establish that we should feel bad for the guy. Right. So yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, 
Yeah, uh, overall, you know, I think the strengths of this show and why it's so well-liked is the character writing they do is very strong, uh, and they do a good job of, you know, defining these characters and making them seem like realistic people, at least, even if the situations they get in end up being unrealistic or politically stupid or what have you, as we're going to keep discussing throughout this podcast, the characters themselves are well done, and that's what's, like, the heart of the show and what's keep what keeps people watching at the end of the day. You can write off a lot of the, the plot as, like, oh, well... White House stuff happened. I just, I just like watching these characters. Yeah, and you know, every sort of incidental thing. Even though I despise the fucking deposition scene, it's like Josh is pretty, uh, kind of a hothead. Because what, what's going to make this investigation go really smoothly is catching an assault charge in the middle of a deposition. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So he like he gets right up in the guy's grill, and like lifts him up by his shirt collar, kind of thing, and like is about to sock him because he insulted the great honor yeah. of Leo McGarry. <laughs> Just me making a jerk off motion with my hand as I say that. Well, and, <laughs> like, and you you also said that it was interesting that Sam says, "Hey, fucking stop it, get out of here," and then goes up to the guy and does the same thing verbally. Right, but without without, without physicality, physic- and, and that's very. Therefore, you, he is more heroic and more good yes, for doing and it. And it's it's almost in that it's it's a very sort of like a uh, like the neoliberal thing of being like, yeah, po- I am all going political to political violence is bad, yeah. no matter the motivation. Like I'm yeah. gonna own you with my words. Here, right, like. I will, when we they go low, we go high. Yeah. Kind of bullshit. Um, but yeah, that mostly does it for this episode of the more like the worst wing podcast. Um, as always, you can reach us in the thread for comments, feedback. Uh, we welcome anyone who wants to guest for any particular episode. If you just want to talk about it, if you feel you have a particular insight to a topic that's topical to an episode, feel free to reach out. We'd be more than happy to have you. Uh, you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. And nice. And uh, next week's episode is called He Shall from Time to Time uh, and references the State of the Union, uh, as well as we get more into the India, Pakistan and Lord John Marbury subplots as well. Yeah. So next, I don't know, for some reason, my wife really likes the next episode. It's just it's always, oh, he shall from time to I'm like, OK, great. Cool. I haven't watched it it's yet. Also, so it's I... also the one where I think we start to get the first hints of Bartlett's health problems, mm. which will become a huge storyline for the show going forward. Very interesting. Okay, well, we're looking forward to that next week. Looking forward to that one, and we'll see you next week on more like The Worst Wing. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on.